Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today we're looking at the subject of hospitality and how hospitality is more than just being a gracious host to your guest, but it's actually the posture of love, uh, the way that we ought to be in the world. And in a world of such polarization, division, hospitality actually offers a way forward into reconciliation redemption. So the title of this one is Hospitality, the Posture of Love. So let's go ahead and head to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. Well, last Sunday, we were, uh, America was confronted with yet another act of terrorism as a white supremacist drove into a crowd of counter protesters at the Unite the White rally in Charlotte's, Charlottesville, Virginia, and kill, killing one person and injuring many others. And in the last week, our, our country has been in a state of shock. Anger. Um, it's. I think everybody knows that racism exists in our world, but this was particularly shocking because I think most of us figured Nazis, like that whole thing, was over with. <laughs> and so to see, I, I watched uh, Vice News put out a little documentary. They actually embedded one of their reporters with um, these white supremacist groups in the days leading up to. Uh, that that horrible event on Saturday, and it was it was scary when you were watching this documentary, seeing a bunch of predominantly middle aged white guys carrying tiki torches, which I don't know. Come on, tiki torches. Um, but they were walking around the street, saying, saying Jews will not replace us, chanting that, um, chanting horrible things about other races, and and it was a it was a disturbing thing, and you could see even in the nights leading up to that, the rhetoric that they were saying, it was getting pretty obvious that it's not going to take much to ignite this. And, and sure enough, uh, the, the, the following day, we, we, we all got to see the news. And so by Sunday afternoon last week on social media, I saw many people who were uh, posting that if you are a pastor and you do not condemn this racism publicly, then you're complicit in it. And as a pastor and as a middle-aged white guy, um, I, I was feeling intense pressure to, to do that. And, and, and on the surface, that sounds like a, a really good thing. And by the way, I do condemn racism. But my response um, a, a couple days later uh, was this. Condemning racism is easy. Making space in one's life for relationship with folks who are different from you is work. It's hard work, but it's holy work. See, it is easy to condemn racism, particularly when it's like Nazis. I mean, I think most people can get on board with condemning Nazis. Like, that's, that's easy, right? I mean, that's about like the, 
as extreme as you can get. That's easy. I can say that's bad. You can say that bad. We can all agree that that's bad. That does nothing, though, for the actual issue. See, the problem is oftentimes we equate moral indignation expressed on social media with actually doing something. So when something happens, we might change our profile, profile picture to, to show solidarity with whatever group has had the latest act of terrorism committed against them. And then we go about our lives thinking, I did something. I changed my profile picture. <laughs> but that's what we call slacktivism. It's, it's the feeling of activism without all the you know, troublesome you know, getting your hands dirty of real activism. And so as, as a pastor, as... A middle-aged white guy, uh, I care about these issues, but I know that just having an opinion on them doesn't mean anything at the end of the day. And even if I can express this opinion, you know, articulately, is that a, in in an articulate way, (laughs) there goes articulation, Um, even if I can express my opinion in an articulate way, it doesn't really matter that much in the long term. In the long term, I think the only hope for healing our world comes down to relationship. Can we make space in our lives for people who are different from us? Can we make space for people in our lives from other races, other ethnicities, other classes? I mean, heck, I think classism is probably a bigger problem in our country than racism. I know a lot of white people who don't want to hang out with other white people of a different class and black people the same way. Are we willing to make space in our life for people who are different? Are we willing to make space in our life for the racist, for the Nazi, for the white supremacist? Now, this may sound like, that's crazy talk, man. Why do you want to make space in your life for the racist people? Don't we just need to get in fights with them over their racism and their their bad attitudes? I don't think so. I don't think that's going to solve the problem. If you're a racist and people just start attacking you, you're, you're, you're prone to get more racist. And I, and I think a lot of what we see going on with, with racist issues in this world is you have marginalized groups on both sides. And the more that they're attacked, the more they dig their heels in. I recently watched a uh, documentary called Accidental Courtesy. Anybody seen this? Y'all you guys need to watch more Netflix. Come on, I'm... Accidental Courtesy, it's, it's a documentary on Netflix, and I'd read about this guy a few years ago. I think I even sh- shared something about him sometime in the last year. But it was a, it was a very powerful documentary on this guy named Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis is a black guy who plays piano, and he's really good at honky-tonk piano, boogie-woogie stuff. And back in the early de- 80s, he was playing a gig in, uh, I think, kind of up near Baltimore, one of these little country bars. He was playing with a country band. And uh, a guy comes up to him at the end of his, when he was taking a break and says, wow, I have never heard a black guy play the piano like Jerry Lee Lewis. And Daryl Davis said, well, where do you think Jerry Lee Lewis learned how to play the piano? It's from black guys. And that guy was like, oh, I don't believe that. Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, he was just always like that. And they started this conversation And towards the end of the conversation, Daryl Davis finds out that this guy is talking to him as a member of the KKK. Now, the natural reaction 
that you would expect somebody in that position to make was like, oh, sorry, you're in KKK. I'm out of here. This conversation's over. But Daryl Davis chose to keep pursuing relationship with, with this guy, and they, they became friends. And ultimately, that friendship led to this guy coming out of the KKK because he saw Daryl Davis not as, as this demonic other, this monster. He saw him as a human being with something to offer. He saw him outside of his poisoned, twisted ideology and actually began to see him as a human being. Now, through that one relationship that Daryl Davis made with this guy, he, gets, uh, he, he finds out a way to get, in the, get the contact information of the grand wizard of that area in the KKK, the bigwig. And he got his secretary who was white, to call this guy up and say, hey, I've got a guy, the guy I work for is writing a book on the history of the KKK, and he'd like to have a meeting with you. Would that be all right? And this guy has no idea that Daryl Davis is a black man and shows up at a hotel for an interview with an armed guard and everything and walks in the door, and it was a very tense situation. But Daryl Davis didn't let the awkwardness of the situation get in his way. He sat down and talked with this guy. He led another guy out of the KKK. What is beautiful is when you watch this documentary, you see that Daryl Davis, in his house, he has a collection of like 20 to 30 robes of grand wizards in the KKK, the higher echelon guys in the KKK. He's got them hanging up in his closet, and he pulls them out. And in one video that I was watching of him, he's got a, a, a uniform of a Baltimore police officer and a KKK robe. He says, this is what this guy, this Baltimore police officer, this was what he did during the day. And this was his hobby. Now this is one less racist police officer who is misusing his power to persecute people based on their skin color. Now, the interesting thing about Daryl Davis, his approach has not gone over very well <laughs> with a lot of people on both sides, which often is where you will find yourself if you're going to be a true peacemaker. Peacemakers are not peacekeepers. <laughs> Peacemaking is a difficult thing. Because one time, Daryl Davis found out there was a KKK rally, and some people who were going to attend it, their broke, bus broke down. And so he said, well, I got a tour bus y'all can use. Let these people ride in his tour bus to a KKK rally. And some people in the black community are like, this is crazy. This is crazy. Aren't you supporting what they're doing? He says, it is, you can support somebody without agreeing with them. And ultimately, what I see Daryl Davis doing, and he still continues to do it to this day, uh, I've actually got a call to him. Uh, I'm going to try to interview him for my podcast because I'm fascinated by the way this guy's doing it. Because in a world where everybody is divided uh, increasingly, where we see this divide, this polarization in our world, where people are digging in their hills in fear and retaliating in anger, we see some true people who are demonstrating the ethic of Jesus Christ. And to me, the only thing that, that, that gives us any hope in the United States or in the world for healing the true divides between races has to come from Jesus. I think otherwise, we just come apart at the seams. And this, is, this gets down to hospitality, which is what I want to talk about. 
And you may think like that's a that's a odd transition to go talk from talking about racism in the KKK to Daryl Davis and hospitality. But what Daryl Davis was doing and what he continues to do is simply the act of hospitality. I have said since we started this church, probably one of the biggest values that we have here is to create a hospitable community. Now, when I'm talking about hospitality, I don't mean just having a good cup of coffee when you show up. How many of y'all appreciate having a good cup of coffee when you show up? Yeah, that's good. I appreciate that too. Some days I appreciate it more than others. Um, But hospitality is more than just being a good host to the friends you have over. It's more than just the ministry in this church that provides the people who who show up here early on a Sunday morning to make coffee so you can be comfortable. It's more than having somebody who will greet you at the door and give you a bulletin. Hospitality is a core foundational value of church. And it, it goes all the way back to the beginning of the church. Hospitality actually comes from a combination of two Greek words, philo and xenia. Philo speaks of, if, if you ever heard of the, the Church of Philadelphia in Revelations, it's the, uh, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Uh, Philadelphia means brotherly love. So you have um, philo and xena. If you've ever heard of xenophobes, fear of others outside your group, the word is philoxena, philoxena, a combination of two Greek words for love and stranger. It basically means the love of strangers. The Apostle Paul prioritizes hospitality as a basic practice of the church so much that it is one of the marks of qualification for leadership within the church. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 2 says, if anyone wants to provide leadership in the church, good. But there are some preconditions. A leader must be a well thought of, must be well thought of, committed to his wife, cool and collected, accessible and hospitable. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing about the qualifications for leadership in church, one of the core qualifications is you got to be hospitable. It doesn't matter if you have a seminary degree. It doesn't matter if you're good with administration. If you are not hospitable, you're, you're not qualified for it. You have to be the kind of person that can extend love to strangers. Henry Nowen, one of my favorite books, is <laughs> a little bitty book called Reaching Out. Um, but I'd say... Some of the things that Henry Nowen wrote in that book have been some of the core things that helped me think through um, planning this church and, and, and developing a community. I say this one quote probably three or four times a year, but Henry Nowen says, Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer a space in which change can take place. When I look at North Shore Vineyard, this is exactly what I want. I want to be the kind of community of faith where even if you're an atheist or even if you're somebody who doesn't know what you believe or you got some hurts and hang-ups or you haven't got your life together like most of us, or if you're a seasoned Christian who's been a Christian for 50 years, that we could all find a unity in the Spirit based on Jesus Christ, based on what the Spirit's doing without trying to change one another. Because I have found, even in my own life, the things that have changed me the most in my life have been relationships. 
It's been relationships. And I, I would bet that's true for every single one of you. Yeah, I, I've gotten in fights over ideology and doctrine and theology. I've gotten in fights like that all the time. I used to love that stuff. It used to get me out of bed in the morning. But when I'm fighting with people, I've, I've never had anybody convince me that uh, I was wrong on any of my beliefs by fighting with them. That's never changed me. <laughs> Yet when I have been hospitable to other people who are different from me, and I've sought to step into their world without trying the agenda of trying to change them or win them over to my point of view, but to simply understand where they're coming from, oftentimes we both find ourselves changing in that space. And that's the space where the spirit moves. And that's the space that we're trying to create here at North Shore Vineyard. Henry Nouwen writes, when hostility is converted to hospitality, then fearful strangers can become guests, revealing to their hosts the promise they are carrying with them. Then, in fact, the distinction between host and guest proves to be artificial and evaporates in the recognition of the newfound unity. I want to look at a few examples of hospitality in the Old Testament. There's a story where Abraham uh, gets three visitors. I think it's God and a couple of angels, and they show up. And I love Abraham because he just, he's like, we must barbecue for them. <laughs> I'm thinking, what do you cook for God? <laughs> so Abraham cooks up some lunch, and he's taking care of these guests, and it's in the process of Abraham extending hospitality to God that God actually reveals that this time next year, Abraham, you're going to have the promised son, the one that I told you you're going to have. Well, little does uh, Abraham know, but his wife is kind of hiding behind the tent flap, trying to eavesdrop on the, the situation, and he she hears the news that she's going to be with child, and she's like, ha, <laughs> that's crazy. That laugh was crazy. <laughs> God, you're so funny. And, and God says, just because that, that you're going you're gonna to name the child Laughter. That's going to be his name now because you laughed. And so she has a child the next year named Isaac. But the very revelation of that happens in the context of hospitality. Then we also have... When the widow of Zarephath offered food and shelter to Elijah in 1 Kings, he revealed himself as a man of God, offering her an abundance of oil and meal and raising her son from the dead. This widow who had nothing going for her, who was about to starve to death, down to the last bit of, she's like, we're just going to make our last bit of bread and die. Uh, she gives the last bit to Elijah. Elijah raises her son from the dead. She's got enough to eat to get through the famine. That comes out of hospitality. But probably one of my favorite stories about hospitality in the whole Bible happens on the first Easter Sunday. A couple of disciples are traveling on the road to Emmaus, and they're, they're really sad about the events over the weekend because they'd put all their hope in Jesus. He was horribly executed, and now they don't know what to do with their lives. And as they're walking down this road one day, they're joined by a stranger, and they extend hospitality to this stranger as they're walking down the road, and this stranger begins to uh, unfold to them 
God's plans throughout Scripture. This stranger begins to speak to them of how, how the Messiah must come and how the Messiah must suffer and how the Messiah would be raised from the dead. And their minds are getting blown as they hear these words. And after a few hours of traveling down this dirty road, they finally arrive at the village that they were going to, and they compel this stranger, like, why don't you please stay with us? He's like, I got to go. No, 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 please, please come in. So the stranger comes in. They sit down for dinner. The stranger gets up and breaks bread. And right when he breaks the bread, their eyes are open, and they realize it's Jesus. And right when they realize it's Jesus, he disappears. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Jesus reveals himself to them in the very act of hospitality being extended to him. Then Hebrews 13, 1 through 2, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Be careful who you write off. Be careful who you uh, shut your door to or shut your heart to because you may be shutting your heart to the very angels of God in your midst without even knowing it. I think one of the greatest things that I see in the Bible of hospitality is the early church. On the, on the, in the second chapter of Acts, the day the church was born, the day the Holy Spirit was poured out, what was the big sign that, that happened? It was speaking in tongues. And this was a crazy sign to everybody there because you had people gathered from all over the world that were in town for the festival of Pentecost. And all of a sudden, these, these Galilean fishermen who have, you know, they, they could kind of be picked out as like rednecks from the North Shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they had an accent, you know, you talk funny. Um, they come out of this upper room empowered by the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden they're speaking all these different languages, and people who were there for the festival from all over the world began hearing the wonders of God proclaimed in their own language. That's the hospitality of God, to tear down the barriers that divide us, even when it comes to language. And that day it said that there was 3,000 people that joined the church. But the hospitality of the early church didn't end there because as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, they shared, or maybe last week, they shared their possessions. They, they shared meals with each other. But not only that, they didn't just take care of each other. They took care of the marginalized, the poor, the widows, the orphans in their own community. They set up programs to, to take care of the ones who couldn't take care of themselves. And probably one of the most amazing things that I see in Scripture in the New Testament that defined the early church can be found in the writings of Paul. Paul says on a a couple of occasions, he says, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek or Jew or Gentile. These two groups that wouldn't hang out with each other in society. In Christ there is neither slave nor free. In Christ there is neither male nor, nor woman or female. But Christ is all and in all. Christ becomes the identifier in a world back in that time that was very much stratified socially. Slaves didn't hang out with their uh, masters. Men and women didn't do much in society together at all unless you were married. 
Jews did not hang out with Gentiles for, for fear of making themselves contaminated by hanging out with unclean people. That didn't happen in their world. But in the church, you'd show up to a church service at somebody's house. And in that house, you would see that slaves had the same status as, as those who owned slaves. That men and women had the same status as one another in Christ. The Jews and Gentiles could come together in Christ because God had broken down the walls that had separated them by his own blood. Hospitality is the good news of the gospel. It's the posture of love. What does it mean to be hospitable to other people? It means to simply welcome them without an agenda. You ever been invited to somebody's house for dinner and you think it's because they like you? And you sit through a delicious meal. You're like, wow, this salmon, that, that, that grilled salmon was good. I love that, that, that salad that, that you made with that spinach and avocados. That, that was really good. And that wine you chose, that dessert was awesome. And then you get to the end of the dessert. And, well, the reason we invited you here tonight... We have this wonderful business opportunity for you. <laughs> if you've ever had that happen to you, it's, it feels gross. You're like, I thought you liked me. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we had a connection here. And you find out, no, it was not a connection at all. I'm trying to sell you something. Unfortunately, much of the hospitality in the church has been like multi-level marketing. <laughs> I have done countless things of which I'm ashamed of which were bait-and-switch things. You know, we'll invite you over for a meal as long as we can tell you how to believe. I did all this kind of stuff in, in college ministry. We had all these outreaches where we tried to act like, we're doing a spiritual survey today, but we'd ultimately, it was bait-and-switch. We're trying to offer something, but really, we're not doing it out of pure love. We're, it's got an agenda. There was a joke a friend of mine told me and, and I, I, since I grew up slightly Baptist, I can say this. I'm not picking on the Baptist because it's true of all kinds of people. How do you get a Baptist to leave you alone? <laughs> you go up to the altar and get saved, and they'll never bother you again. <laughs> and that's not just true of Baptists. It's true of, 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 of a lot of people. Uh, so I'm not trying to pick on Baptists, but th that's the truth. And I found it, it, at one point in my life what I considered to be hospitality. It wasn't hospitality at all because it was with an agenda. I'm going to try to change you because I got the answer for your life. And uh, I, I may do things that appear loving on the surface. But ultimately, I'm trying to change you because I got the answers and you don't. But as soon as you get the answers I got, then I'm done. And that's the very evidence that it's not hospitality because it has no interest. Once you agree with me, then I can move on. True hospitality is seeking to enter into somebody's world and love them right where they are. Do you realize when we look at the people on the radical right and the radical left, you know, one of the main things that is propelling so many people to do the, the, the horrible, violent things that they're doing is because they don't feel like anybody is listening to them. They don't feel like anybody understands I love this quote. I've, I've probably said it on many occasions, but um, Dave, David uh, Augsburger, he says, being heard 
is so close to being love that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Can I get an amen? Amen. Being heard is so close to being loved that for most people, it's, it's indistinguishable. When somebody truly makes an attempt to listen to you and understand where you're coming from, that's the best feeling in the world, isn't it? The other side is when you feel like people don't want to listen to you and don't want to try to understand you, that's the most alienating feeling in the world as well. And when I look at white supremacists, or, or, or people on, on the far left, you know, and people everywhere. We, I think that, that so much of the anger, the alienation people feel is because nobody's listening. We're just shouting past one another. What are the barriers to hospitality? Well, I think the biggest barrier is fear. We don't extend hospitality because we're truly afraid of others. We are afraid the stranger is going to take what we have or harm us. We are afraid of the differences. I think that's the the biggest thing. That's why I love this guy, Daryl Davis. He's like, I ain't afraid of the KKK. I'll go sit down and have dinner with them. I ain't afraid of them. That's powerful. We're afraid of other people who are different from us because we're afraid that they're going to take something from us. We're afraid that they're going to harm us. We're afraid of, but, but most of the time our fears are based not on reality. It's based on kind of our own tribalism. Secondly, barriers is prejudice. We've been told this group is all like this. And, and so we, we stereotype a group of people, and then once we put a label on them, it gives them a, a, an excuse to not be in a relationship with them. That's one reason I rarely tell people I'm a pastor when I meet them for the first time. Because <laughs> I know in this world, and, and there's, there's good reason, people have so many preconceived ideas and stereotypes of what a pastor is, I'd much rather like just get to know me before you find out I'm a pastor. And it's worked pretty good. <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, oh, okay. Prejudices. Fear. The third thing is that we pri- prioritize beliefs and ideas above people. How many people do we separate with in our life just because they have a different view on politics than us? How many people? I mean, I, I've, I've, you know, this last year, I've heard of families People in families who are not hanging around anymore because one person voted for Trump and one person voted for Hillary. I mean, like, they've, they've, they've severed familial ties over political ideas. How stupid is that? It's stupid, folks. Can we call it what it is? Can we call it what it is? These are just ideas. They're just ideas. They have ramifications. But we're going to really break relation with people based on two political parties that honestly are doing the same thing as one another when they get in power. There's not much difference, actually. All right, I'm, I'm going to stop ranting against politics. <laughs> the last barrier, well, not, not definitively, is that we have not recognized God's, God's hospitality towards us. When we truly recognize the hospitality God extends to us, 
it's much harder to keep our hearts shut to others. I think one of the biggest things that has changed me in regards to other people is when I began to realize so much of my problem with other people had nothing to do with other people. It was me projecting my own crap onto them. Is the stuff that I hated in myself that I was hating in them. And I hated it in myself, and I, and I figured God hated it more than I hated it in myself. When I realized that God loved that guy, the guy that I hated, when I realized that Jesus died for that guy, that that guy would have been welcomed at Jesus' table, that Jesus would have broke bread with that guy, when I realized that, not just in an intellectual sense, but down in the core of my being, I realized that God loved me at my worst. When I truly realize that, it's awfully hard to be a jerk to other people who are jerks or other people who I I might disagree with. When we realize the grace of God, the compassion of God, the mercy of God towards us, it's really hard to walk out and be mean to other people that, that are other than us or outside of our group. Sometimes the very fact that we have such prejudice or fear against other people reveals the lack of our experience of God's love with inside us. Which brings me to the passage on the front of your bulletin. First John 4, 7 through 18. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might have life through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love God, if we love one another, God lives in us and is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and they live in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in God and God in them. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. I'm going to just close with a, with a song this morning that is just a reflection. And, and what I, I want us to, to reflect on today and this week, who are the people in your life that the Spirit may be inviting you to extend hospitality to? Who are the people, <laughs> that coworker that's a racist that you just don't want to talk to because of their political views? That neighbor next door that family member, who's the person 
that you really have a hard time entering into their world and you've written them off, you stereotypes them, you put them in a box and you don't want to have, who might the Spirit inviting you be inviting you to have lunch with this week or go grab a cup of coffee or beer with this week and just sit down, not as somebody there to change them, but somebody to listen to them and love them right where they're at. I'm going to do this final song and this is just really a, a reflective moment to just open up our hearts to the Spirit. Thank you.